Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we talk about how to use mobile user acquisition strategies to grow your app quickly and capital efficiently. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, mobile growth leader and founder and CEO of the mobile growth consulting firm, Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile user acquisition that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital-efficient manner. Brett Nowak. Brett is the founder of Liquid & Grit, a product research company for games that creates actionable reports about new game features and industry trends for game developers. In this fascinating interview today, Brett describes his unique approach to hiring. Brett has developed an interviewing and onboarding process that is almost guaranteed to remove biases, get the best person for each role, and develop a superstar team in a manner that involves almost no talking to the candidates or any sort of in-person interaction with them. Today, We dive into this fascinating and counterintuitive approach to hiring that has helped Brett build a superstar team at Liquid and Grit. I am very excited to welcome Brett Nowak to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Brett, welcome to this show. Thanks for having me. Brett, I'm excited to have you here today because the first time we spoke, it was my intention that we would end up talking about A lot of what you do, which is deconstruct games, really analyze games, really dig into what makes some features work and some not to work, which I find fascinating. I I really thought we would talk about that. But in the course of our last conversation, as it turns out, you shared with me an aspect of your work, which I found to be even more fascinating, which is how you hire and how you have a remote hiring process that comes about as close to eliminating hiring biases uh, as I have seen. So I figured that would be a good topic for us to talk about today. To kick this off, tell us about what inspired your hiring process. A couple of different things. One was when I worked at companies, I felt like the hiring process emphasized personality and fit too much. And those are important, but it didn't focus enough on people's ability to do the job that they are hired to do. I also wanted to have a process that was fairly inexpensive to execute because I felt like having a top-notch team was predicated on the idea of hiring people easily because if you can easily hire people, then you're more likely to let people go who aren't top-notch. And the third thing was that I feel like the hiring process in general is very difficult. It's very hard to be accurate. So I wanted to build a process that somewhat like lean methodology got people through our funnel quickly and efficiently and got them to do actual work so we could see what they did rather than rely on our interview process. Yeah, yeah. And once you... Think about a conventional interview process from the lens of some of the things you're talking about. You do realize that 
a lot of the interview process optimizes for things that may not always be good predictors of performance. So if we had to speak to your process, what are you optimizing for in your process? We're really just optimizing for finding people who are very diligent and excellent at the job that we want them to do. And also to remove biases from the hiring process, which has been a wonderful, somewhat byproduct of the process. We don't even know the, the sex of the person or the, the demographic or background or, or really much about them other than they're very good at doing the thing that we are planning on having them do. We're also optimizing for having them experience what our culture is like through the process mm-hmm. and having them not you know, experiencing one thing in the interview process and then having something else go on during the, when they are working here. Yeah. And what does your hiring process look like? What are the different steps and what? First, we're a 100% remote company. So that, that kind of plays into it. And then for the hiring process, when we have something that we want to hire for that is a unique role, meaning that it's not something that's defined in the market. Something defined in the market might be like a WordPress editor. So it's, it's something somewhat unique to us, right? We post a job generally on Craigslist. It's been very effective for us. We found Ivy League grads to people who don't have a college degree and in between and all very excellent at what we need them to do. And we post a job description there. And then we have a series of tests. And the first test is fairly easy, but a lot of people don't read Craigslist ads. So you can kind of filter out people who aren't really serious. And then we have a series of two to three additional tests that we have them go through that are very specific to what they'll be doing. They're not like uh, how many balloons fill a bus or some random question. They're very specific to the thing that they'll be doing. So if they're an editor, they'll be editing. If they're an analyst, they'll be analyzing. If they're going to do data, they'll be downloading spreadsheets. And then when they fill out their test, they're going to respond into a Google form. So we have all of the candidates in a spreadsheet and we can compare their results to each other, which is really great because we're not just talking about one person in a vacuum, we're actually opening up their spreadsheets, opening up their answers and comparing one to the other to the other. And from there, we have about 85% fail rate for each test. Then we get down to two to three people and then we actually do a paid test. So we have about a five to seven hour paid test where they do something again, very specific to what they'd be doing on the job. We pay them because we feel like five to seven hours is a lot of time to commit to something and we realize two of the three may not get the job. And we, anyways, we, we pay them on their hourly rate that they would get. And then from there, we hire we at least one person. And we also have the onboarding from there actually completely virtual. So we have all of our onboarding videos recorded. We have an onboarding standardization doc that they read. All the emails that they receive are templatized, meaning that we just do like a short code and they get spit out. And so they onboard without really much of any cost on our end. And we tell them that the next two to three weeks are an extension of the hiring process because we feel we can see them work, see them interact in the company culture. And then from there, if they make it kind of past that three to four week period, that's generally considered to be a a hire. Sure. So it's clearly very elaborate and well thought out as a process. Out of curiosity, a lot of the work you guys do could be considered fairly niche. For instance, 
deconstructing games or looking at game mechanics or game features isn't something that a lot of people have domain knowledge in or skills in. So how do you find that it's a problem that you're just giving these assignments to people who have no experience with these things at all? Yes, and I think that we have found that given our potential pool of candidates is the entire world that's on the internet or anybody who is going to look at an ad. It's it's massive. We've found that we actually don't give a lot of instruction because at our company, we, we don't do a lot of handholding. So we actually want to see how people respond to that. And we do say it's okay to ask questions, but it's sort of intuitive what questions are the right ones to ask. The ones that end up getting the jobs are the ones that say, I Googled this and you didn't really specify this. So I found out this on another website and you you know, have this wrong. So I fixed that. And, you know, they go the extra mile and we, we sure. kind of do potentially. And what we found is that for whatever reason, there's a pearl of a person out there that fits this job and they just yeah. get it. They just have the skill set for whatever reason. They're super diligent. They understand games. They know how to break it down. They sure. don't need a lot of handholding. And we're just looking for that person. And it's just sure. our job to find that person. Um, sure. Sure. And do you find that the fact that they've never broken down a game before is not a hurdle at all? We have found that experience does not predict ability on uh, in our company. Yeah. I mean, we do not say that you have to have any experience. We do find that if they're going to be an analyst, that knowledge of games really does help. I mean, we generally don't find people who don't know games and then are really good sure. analyst part. But for example, we've hired editors and I've gone through hundreds, hundreds of editors, right? And this is, mm-hmm. so this is outside of games and the two best editors I've found have no experience editing. One was a, is a lawyer and the other mm-hmm. one just happened to respond to a Craigslist ad. Our lead analyst worked at a grocery store before this. I did actually hire in the industry initially. I hired QA people. I thought, hey, they would have a lot of knowledge of games and they would be great at this job. What I haven't really stressed is the importance I found of finding someone who's diligent. And diligence is a skill or I think a trait that you've taught yourself or you've been taught before. And that's not something I can teach. And so we really optimize to find diligent people. The gaming stuff is a lot easier to teach somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's so fascinating because I think the conventional view of hiring and recruiting is to optimize for domain knowledge. And I'm sure there there is some amount of talk of hiring for attitude, but I think that comes a very, very distant second. And I don't think diligence in the way that you phrase it occupies as important a place in conventional hiring processes it clearly, it sounds like you ended up hiring some very unexpectedly great people. Yeah, it was honestly through my first couple hires where I hired somebody, again, who had no experience and she's just the most amazing worker I've ever worked with. That made yeah. me decide that experience adds value. I mean, if that person had experience, obviously that would have yeah. helped her. But I think you limit who you can hire by putting in experience as a requirement 
And sure. that teaching somebody to do something is again, so much easier than finding someone who is an excellent worker, is super diligent, is very sure. driven, self-motivated, fits in your system. Like those are qualities that if they don't have them, you're not going to teach them. And I think that's really an important fundamental of our process is that we a, don't believe that we can actually hire well, meaning like in, in the traditional sense, like I know you're a good worker, you're a good worker. I, I don't think that I can see that by talking. And, and I think a lot of biases kick in. And then secondly, if someone comes to our company, we don't believe that we have the ability to shape that person. Like that person is probably shaped at this point in their life. Like we're just going to be able to teach them skills. That's honestly a human bias is overconfidence in our ability of humans. It's kind of the background of lean methodology in general. It's like let sure. data show you what's reality as opposed to letting yourself predict what reality is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You trust what's coming back to you from the candidates. So to get an understanding of your process in a little more detail, what's an example of a test you gave and what's an example of a great response and a response that wasn't so great? Let's see, for a position like a numbers analyst we hired recently, we yeah. had them download a spreadsheet off of, uh, I think it's 538 website where they have like all these spreadsheets and do an analysis of the data and then upload their spreadsheet into our Google form. And their spreadsheet was uploaded into Google Sheets. The great thing about this process is I don't have to really tell you what is a great candidate because you can compare every single person's response. They're getting the same exact question. And so when you go into your Google sheet, which, you know, Google forms, when you upload, it goes into a Google spreadsheet, you are, compare every single candidate's responses to the same exact question, which again, removes the bias of somebody going and interviewing somebody and asking a, a, a set of questions, another person asking a random set of questions, another person, right? You're not comparing apples to apples to apples. And what we do is it's the same question. So you just open up those tabs and you can see them so clearly that it's obvious this person's graphs just jump out at you and this other person's graphs doesn't. We're hiring a gaming analyst position right now. And we actually, for those, have correct and incorrect answers. They're really hard. So if they get five out of six right, they're going to pass the next phase. But once you start seeing towards the end, their answers, I mean, you can see their paragraphs are correct. Their, their sentence structure, they go the extra mile. And that's what's beauty, beautiful about the process for me as well is I wanted to eliminate the time I spent on the interview process because I felt like I was spending a lot of time. And as a founder, you really want to be cautious of your time. And by having each candidate do the exact same thing, someone else in your team can very easily do the vetting of the person because they can compare each answer. And so that makes yeah. a very scalable process. You just set up the tests. And, and at this point, actually, I haven't even set up the tests. So it's really hands-off for me. I don't really involve myself in hiring at all. And we had yeah. the whole process written out. And in fact, we just posted for a job. I had my chief of staff talk to the person who hired last and she had it written out in our standardization document. So she just pointed the chief of staff to the standardization document and she just used the templated response. We use the same Google form. We do the same exact process. And now this chief of staff is owning it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Which also speaks to how much can be standardized. Like you said, you no longer even need to set the questions because clearly for an analyst, there's a standard set of analyzable data. Uh, and presumably if you 
the next time you hire an analyst, you could use most of the same questions that you used the last time around. So definitely, I think it's impressive. How much can be standardized? So to switch gears a bit, once you do hire p- people, my understanding is that your onboarding is also fully remote and you don't talk to anybody that's onboarded. So tell us about why your onboarding is structured in this manner. I mean, just to save time for me, uh, one, and then two, to limit the emotional attachment. I did an onboarding call with somebody. I spent 45 minutes telling about our company and, and I felt like it was very valuable for that person. But I realized that I was going to have to give this spiel over and over again if I hired more people. So I just ended up hanging up the phone and then recording myself, have the same exact conversation again. And then I uploaded it to our Dropbox file and then I named it onboarding video. And then I included it in the templatized onboarding video so that I never have to give that speech again. People might think, well, you know, there's value to you talking to people. And, and I agree. I mean, there's pluses and minuses to anything, but What's great about that, in addition to saving the time, is that when I see those mistakes from this person that we hired, and it's week two or three, I haven't invested any time on that person. I don't actually have any emotional attachment to this person, really. I mean, I don't know anything about this person. I mean, we hired someone named Jordan, and I didn't know if it was a man or a woman. Um, (laughs) I actually thought it was a man. Speaking of biases, I assumed it was a man. And when I saw her Google image, it was a woman. So, you know, it's, it's just amazing how, how easy it is to be biased. And I ended up letting her go, but that's a templatized email as well. And so that's a really important part of the process is as humans, again, we have to understand we have emotional attachment and, and things like that. And we oh, will convince ourselves, well, let's keep this person. They're a good person or da, 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 I like them. And we spent all this time with them and all this time, like all those excuses will keep these people with you for longer and longer periods of time. Whereas at week three, like, we don't really feel that attachment. And so we can let them go very easily. That's a really important part of this whole process. And I will add that no one has ever left our company and we've been in existence for five years now. So people who end up staying, love our company and love that we are super diligent with hiring because they work with such great people. Yeah. So for, again, an outsider looking in at this process that says, oh my God, is it weird to not talk to a human during the interviewing and onboarding? How do you think about that? If somebody asks you at a party, how would you respond? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do think it's weird. And the other thing about that is it represents the culture of our company. So we don't actually talk a lot as a company. We have zero meetings a week. And and uh, that's not an exaggeration. We had one meeting a week about a month ago and the team decided to cancel that one meeting. Uh, I have one meeting a week with my head analyst and that is often canceled. So that's my only meeting, my only internal meeting the teams, 15 people. So we're big enough that you might expect me to have a lot of meetings. So I wanted the onboarding process to feel like it was going to be during their experience at the company. And I think that's important because obviously you want a cultural fit and you want them to be okay with that. And I didn't want them to have 20 phone calls in the first two weeks. And then all of a sudden they 
they don't talk to anybody for months. I mean, I've had people work for me for over a year that I've never talked to. That wouldn't be abnormal for me to have a bunch of people who have worked for me for over a year that I've never talked to. Yeah, meetings. They're one of the things that a lot of people take as a necessary evil of doing business, of doing work. I think even though people subscribe to the idea that, oh, we should have less meetings, I think a lot of people find it hard to re- actually do that reduction. Uh, it's impressive that you've done zero, <laughs> you've gone to zero meetings a week. Maybe that could be the topic of a next podcast episode, how to run a 15-person company on zero meetings a week. Yeah, that's definitely impressive. Uh, so with a lot of these processes that you've run very successfully, what are some of the things that have surprised you? The first is how well it's worked. That's somewhat of been a surprise. I mean, the second is probably been the resistance from other people. Like you said, when I bring this up to other people, they quickly figure out a reason why it wouldn't work for them. It's just, oh, well, it wouldn't work at our company because we, and it wouldn't work at our, and it, it wouldn't work with me because I'm, and it's fine because I feel like the process is so great. Again, I haven't talked about it a ton, but a wonderful byproduct of this whole process is the elimination of biases, which obviously is super important today. And yeah. I mean, I've never seen my, my lead. I haven't seen my the, any, and I don't know anything about these people in terms of any bias. So it's a yeah. wonderful byproduct of it. And so that's been a wonderful byproduct of it. The other is again, just people's resistance to this unique different approach to stuff. And also probably the quality that you can find on Craigslist. My lead writer, I've never seen his face and he's worked for me for a year. He's a very important person in my company. He went to an Ivy League school. I found him on Craigslist. He is amazing. He's just incredibly smart. My head in and says she's just one of the most incredible people I've ever worked with ever. And I've yeah. worked in San Francisco and Silicon Valley and all that good stuff for a long time. So the quality of people you can find on Craigslist is just astounding too. Yeah, certainly. Part of the reason why I also had this conversation was for the purely selfish reason that we are fully remote. We have a process that has some elements of what you have, which is we give paid tests just as well, uh, a lot of our candidates. And yet I think there's just so much to learn from the way you do things. I do appreciate the specificity with which you described a lot of this, Brett. This has been great. And perhaps this is a good place for us to start to wrap up. As we do wrap, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? I mean, you can find us at liquidandgrit.com to find out, which is to find out probably more about our company. If you have questions about the hiring process or some of the unique things we do with our company, the best thing to do is probably reach out to me at LinkedIn or email me at brett, uh, B-R-E-T-T dot Nowak, N-O-W-A-K at liquidandgrit.com. I'm happy to chat with you more about it. Excellent. Uh, we will link to all of that in the show notes. But for now, thank you for, uh, for being on the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. 
Thank you for listening and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.